Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. Today we're going to finish up our series on freedom. And I wanted to finish last week, but I just feel like I need to cover a little more ground when it comes to how to stay free. We've talked a lot about freedom and I think it's important that we learn how to stay free. But before we do, I found this little dad funny um, a joke from a pastor. He said this, a young boy had just gotten his driving permit. He asked his father, who was a minister, if they could discuss the use of the car. His father took him to his study and said to him, I'll make a deal with you. You bring your grades up, you study your Bible a little, <laughs> and get your hair cut and we'll talk about it. After about a month, the boy came back, and again, his father, if they could dis- asked his father if they could discuss the use of the car. They again went to the father's study, where his father said, son, I've been proud of you. You have brought your grades up, you've studied your Bible dil- diligently, but you didn't get your hair cut. The young man waited for a moment and replied, you know, dad, I've been thinking about that. You know, Samson had long hair, You know, Moses, he had long hair. Noah had long hair. And even Jesus had long hair, Dad. His father replied, yes, son, you're right. And they also walked everywhere they went. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. I don't care what you say about it. (laughs) John chapter 8, verse number 31 says this. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, verily, verily, very, very true. Well, I went King James on you guys here for a minute, sorry. Very, very, verily, verily. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen, everybody? The Bible tells us here that if we hold to his teaching, we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. It's interesting that the truth itself has no power to set you free. In other words, he says this, if you hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth. It's the truth that you know and apply that has the ability to set you free. So freedom is an issue. Your Bible's on the shelf with a lot of dust on it. You've not taken the word of God and held on to it. You have no mechanism by which freedom can stand. You can have moments of freedom, which we'll talk about, but you can't have sustained freedom. You can't have sustained transformation outside of holding to God's word. And he tells you, if you want true freedom, or free indeed means this. It means a reality of freedom right now. There is freedom now, that you can live in this freedom right now. But the only way you can experience true freedom is if you hold to the truth. That truth you know will set you free. You know, there's a cycle that we go through in life, and this is, this is from a, a, a nation standpoint, when nations go to war and they experience things and they conquer territory, and you can read this all through the Bible, but I'm gonna pick up in Luke chapter 11, 
And we're going to look at this cycle of freedom. And here, here's, here's how it looks. And so in Luke chapter 11, verse number 24, it says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it, don't make that weird, don't make that weird, okay? I'm not saying like you're walking around here going, my name is Legion. No, no. Some of you, it's just thought patterns. So when a thought pattern leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept in in order. So in other words, I took these thoughts and I, I dealt with these thoughts and the, the, the negativity or the evil side of those thoughts have left me and therefore my house is empty. Then he says this, he says, so when it returns or that thought pattern, which you will, well, just because you deal with a thought today doesn't mean you won't have to deal with it tomorrow. So in other words, he's saying these thoughts are going to come back. This mindset has the ability to come back. This stronghold has the ability to come back. So how do we continually walk in freedom? He says, so it returns and finds its for, uh, former home is all swept in in order. Then the spirit or the, the thought patterns, the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself and they all enter the person and live there. And so, listen, here's the key verse. And so that person is worse off than before. In other words, that if we don't have a continual daily repetition of how to walk in freedom and how to walk through this cycle, we could get worse before we get better. In other words, he's saying here there's an evil spirit that left, there is a thought pattern that left, but this thing's going to come back tomorrow. And notice what he says, it finds the house clean and in order. But listen, it was empty. There was nothing in this house that had the ability to run off the evil spirit or to run off that thought pattern. There had to be something that we fill our lives with, and he says that in order for an evil spirit or a thought pattern that's going to come tomorrow that you dealt with today, so you don't become worse than you did before, there's a process. So there's this cycle, and I'll go back to this verse, but there's a cycle in the Bible and really in the world that, that people deal with, nations deal with this, governments deal with this, is that they'll experience a freedom moment, okay? We conquer land, we, we win, we, we take over, and then we experience prosperity. You can read this in the scripture too, this cycle. So we have a conquering moment, and then we experience a, 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 some prosperity, and we experience blessing. So let's take this just from an individual standpoint that, that there's some areas in your life over the last six or seven weeks that you've really dealt with and you focused in on it, and you're like, man, I'm gonna overcome this thing, and you had some moments of freedom over the last seven weeks. So you experience this freedom, and then you come into this thing called prosperity, which is, the Bible says, more of a soulless prosperity. Nations come into blessings, and Bible stuff, they come into stuff, and, and gold, and silver, and treasures, and they come into this prosperity moment. So they come out of bondage, they experience freedom, then they experience this prosperity. Here's, here's the thought, though prosperity or that level of blessing has the ability within itself to produce pride and complacency. Here's what I mean by that. We experience a moment of freedom. Woo, I'm free. This is great. I feel great. Blessings. Woo, woo. Then that thought comes back in two weeks. That same sort of idea comes back in two weeks. And we're experiencing blessing and we're enjoying it. However, because we become complacent, we can't sustain our freedom. Hear me this morning. I don't just want you to be free in a moment. I want you to live in sustained freedom that affects you and your kids for generations. And so the freedom cycle, freedom, prosperity, and what happens in complacency is because we don't live in freedom every day, what happens is, is out of this 
prosperity or this pride or this complacency because when you feel like you're good, it's easy to let the guard down. When you feel like, I got this thing conquered, yeah, I got this thing conquered, I'm gonna whip this thing, I've whipped it, I'm good, all of a sudden complacency comes in and instead of filling your house with God's word, you leave it empty and when that thought comes back to you, all of a sudden you find yourself going around the same mountain again. So out of freedom comes prosperity and prosperity produces bondage if you're not careful. You can go right back into what you were supposed to be freed from if you're not diligent and intentional about filling your house up with God's word, of knowing God's word. So how do you stay free? Galatians chapter five, verse one says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Everybody say stand firm. Which means it's a continual, this stand firm, if you look it up, it's a continual standing firm. It's not a, it's not a uh, 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 going with the winds and tossed back and forth. There's a firm stand that must take place. And he says, and do not let yourselves. Notice that connotation. Notice that, that, that thought right there. Don't let yourself. In other words, you're controlling yourself. You're in control of yourself. You're in control of your level of freedom. You're in control of your level of bondage. He says, listen, you can't blame it on anybody else. He says, your freedom and your bondage is all depicted upon you. And then he says this. He says, do not let yourselves, don't let your guard down in your prosperity moment. Don't let your guard down and be complacent. Don't let yourselves be burdened again or the cycle start again by a yoke of slavery. So here's freedom, freedom comes in two ways. Number one, there's a moment, there's the deliverance moment. You know, the children of Israel, they experienced the deliverance moment. I experienced the deliverance moment where God set me free. He delivered me from a lot of stuff and set me free. May 1994, God set me free from so much stuff. But listen, I could be in a place of bondage if I just lived off a moment. You can't just live off a moment. There's a level of, of deliverance in a moment, but sustained deliverance and freedom, there's something, there's a journey of freedom. So you have the moment of freedom, and then you have the journey of freedom. One represents deliverance, and one represents discipleship. Discipleship is a $10 word for you learn to be disciplined for Jesus, and you really focus in on what it means to be a Christ follower. And so he says this, he says, in Galatians 5, it is for freedom, that we have been set free. So stand firm and don't get burdened again with the cycle of slavery. Enjoy your moment. I remember when I gave my heart to the Lord, I was fired up, I wanted everybody to know. I was fired up, boy, I was woof, giving it all for Jesus, but something about that music I just could not get over. I'd filled my mind with so much filth. I'd filled my mind with so much this music and stuff and, and bad choices and bad relationships and, oh, I had that moment of freedom. But if I was going to experience long-term freedom, I had to deal with what I was allowing in my ears. I had to deal with what I was looking at uh, through my eyes. I had to deal with the people that I was surrounding myself with. I had to make choices on my journey that allowed me to stay free. Come on, somebody. You know, being free from alcohol, you know, Sean, free from alcohol. I've been set free from that in 94. Listen to me today. I couldn't just keep going to the bar and going to the parties and expect to stay free. I couldn't, I couldn't celebrate 
the thing that had got me into bondage. So I had to discard on the journey. I had to say, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna entertain that any longer because I'm serious. I got sick of being in bondage. I got sick of being wrapped up in the enemy's lies about my life and my destiny. I had to make a decision that I wasn't just gonna live in the moment. I was gonna take Jesus on this journey and whatever that thing looked like, whatever, whatever I had to discard of, whatever I had to start over with, that's what I was willing to do. And you know what? You will reap the fruit of that kind of lifestyle. Luke 15, we're going to look at the prodigal son this morning. You're like, it's Father's Day. This doesn't sound like a Father's Day message. I'm getting there. Hang tight, Luke 15. I'm sorry, I'm not ordinary. I don't just do things like everybody else. So, amen. Luke 15, I'm going to preach what's in my heart today. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, what you have to understand in Jewish custom is that when you get the inheritance, that meant that your dad was dead. So in other words, what he was saying to his dad was, you're as good as dead to me. I want my inheritance. So when he asked for that, everybody just thinks, well, he just asked for his money. He just asked for his part of the business. No, what he was communicating to his father was that, guess what? You're dead to me. All I want is that inheritance. So notice what he says. Then it says this and says, not a, uh, so he divided his property between them, not 13, not ap- long after that. The younger son, together, all he had, uh, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. This is the boy. After he had spent everything, there was severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. I'm going to give you four things on how to stay free out of this prodigal son's story. You got this kid that asked for his inheritance. His dad gave his inheritance. He went out and blew it because he didn't understand how to handle money. He didn't understand how to handle wealth. So he thought he could just blow it on everything and everything was going to be fine and God would just bless him. That's not how it works. So he didn't understand this process. And it says he, listen, because of the famine and he didn't save up and prepare for it, he began to be in need. So how do we stay free? We're gonna look at this. Number one is this. He was in this state. So number one is this. Admit that you need help. Now you think, well, that's pretty simple. I don't know about you guys in this room, you dads, you men. Do you ask for help well? Heck no, YouTube. Heck, I'm gonna fix the plumbing by watching YouTube. I'm gonna try to figure this engine out in my car (laughs) through YouTube. I mean, you're gonna ask for directions, gentlemen. I don't do that very well. I remember I was getting ready to propose to my wife and we were in Oklahoma and she had come down. I had it all planned out, boy. We were going to the Arkansas River, didn't have no water in it, woo. I was gonna take her to this park and I was gonna get down on my knees. She was on this big old rock and, and I was ready, boy. I was like, it ain't like today where you gotta have like a jazz team and a dance club and you gotta have Disney Mickey Mouse comes out and all that, cr- no, we went to the river where there was no water. Come on, somebody. It was dry as all get out. And uh, I got her in the car, picked her up, had, had it ready to go, gonna go propose, that whole deal. Bro, I, I got lost. I drove around the same loop five times. She finally looked at me and said, you gonna ask for directions? I said, don't you worry about what I feel like doing right now. You just sit there and be quiet. <laughs> I ain't trying to ask for help. Finally, I pulled into this station. I pulled in this gas station. Dude didn't speak English. I was struggling. I was like, I need to go to Chandler Park. And he was like, hmm. So I had to go to another gas station. 
ask for help. So I finally was able to figure out how to go. But we don't, men, we, we struggle asking for help. You know, I love watching YouTube funny videos. You ever seen those weightlifting videos where those guys get under the weight on the bench? And they, they think, you know, they're in the mirror and they're like, what's up? Strong. And they get on the bench and they're all by themselves. And then, click, cling, the weight hits their chest and they can't get up. And you see them tilt the weight off this end and tilt the weight off this end. You know, just get a spotter and try to do what you're supposed to do. Just ask for a little help. You know, and I think that sometimes in life when it comes to living is we don't, we don't ask for help. We definitely don't ask for help in areas that we don't want nobody to see. We might ask for help on how to fix our car. Or we might ask for help on how to do certain things, but there's areas in our life that we don't ask for help on because we don't want nobody to see that area. You can't get free by, not, by being a loner or an island. Everybody needs somebody. Luke 15 says this in verse 15. So he went, hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. So here's this, here's this kid. He's got the money. He's squandered everything. Now he's going out and he's going to feed pigs. This is his job. He went from loaded to pig pen. Here's what it says. It says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Now, how desperate do you have to be to eat pig food? Now, I can see if you kill the pig and make some bacon, come on, somebody, I can see that. But to eat their food? Then he says this, he says, but no one gave him anything. He couldn't even get to pigs to give him some grub. This is how low this cat was. Then he says this, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And he's starting to think about what he had done. He started to go, I'm in the pig pen eating pig food, and all of my, my father's hired servants, they're not even sons, they're sitting at the table, probably eating a full course meal right now, and I'm in the pig pen. Notice what he says. Notice what the, the Bible says. It says, when he came to his senses. In other words, he had had enough. He had had enough of the decisions he had made. He was tired of the bondage. And so guess what? He had to make a decision in this moment. Was he going to stay in the pig pen or was he going to return to his father's house and ask for help? You know, the biggest thing that keeps men from asking for help is your pride. As if you don't have anything wrong. As if you don't have anything that you're dealing with. Now, pride is a mask, and that mask is something that, that needs to be pulled off because that pride really is rooted in fear. You're scared what somebody else is going to think about you because you have an image. You're scared about what that means, and so you can't tear down that mask. You can't ask for help. But God's requirement in order for us to stay free on this journey, you need to find somebody that you can come to and say, hey, man, I need your help. I'm struggling in this area. I'm struggling with this. She's getting on my last nerve. Help me. And he's like, I'm in the same boat, brother. <laughs> Ask for help. Number two is this on how to stay free is humbly repent to God and others. Now, that word repent's a $15 word for change your mind. Change your mind. Humbly repent. Humbly change your mind to God and others. Change your mind means to go in a different direction. Listen, if I was ever going to get to my destination with my wife, in order to propose to her, I was going to have to change course. 
I was gonna have to humble myself and say, you know what, this way is not working and the end result is not, I'm not gonna accomplish my end result if I don't ask for help and then humbly say, honey, you know what, we lost. I don't have any idea where we're at right now. I repent, I change my mind. I'm gonna go in here and ask this cat and he's gonna tell us how to get there and when we get there, we're gonna be overlooking the beautiful, dry, Arkansas River, and I'm going to say, will you give me, will you, amen, will you marry me, will you be mine? No, but if I just keep driving around and don't ever just admit it, you know, 20-something years into marriage now, you know, you still don't admit, you know what I mean, you don't ever, some, there's some stuff you just don't, you don't change your mind. Okay, moving on, same marriage talk, all right. Change your mind. Go in a different direction. If you change your mind, your behavior has the ability to change. If you don't change your mind, your, your, your behavior doesn't have the ability to change. So you can try to fix it through behavior, or you can really deal with the root, which is your thought pattern. In order to deal and change it, it's your thought pattern. So you have to humbly repent before God. And I thought about this passage. Listen to Luke 15, 18. He says, I will set out. This is the boy. And he said, I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Now, when I started to read this message and read this, read this scripture, I asked myself, there are a lot of people that don't get this point. And here's why. You don't have a perspective of your heavenly father. You don't have a true perspective or a perspective biblically about your heavenly father because you are doing the, the perspective of your heavenly father through the relationship that you've had on the earth with maybe a natural father. So what you're doing is you're basing your relationship with God and you're viewing it, you're, you're viewing your relationship with God through a filter of your natural father. Maybe it's not been the best, but you're starting to filter through that. And, and here's, here's what it said. And so I started to ask myself, why in the world this kid says, I'll set out and go back to my father? Why? Because I don't believe this is the first time this kid messed up. Come on, all of you with children. Multiple times, multiple days, as Chase would say, He's going to whip me with the paddle. <laughs> Multiple times. Here's the point. The point is, is that in a moment, this young man seen how his father was going to respond to him. Something along the lines of him growing up in this household, his father responded because why would he go back to a father that's going to abuse him? Why would he go back to a father that's going to condemn him? Why would he go back to a father that's not going to receive him? Why would he go back to a father after wasting his hard-earned money on pigs and, and crazy living? Why would he go back to a father that would condemn him? No, I believe over the course of time, this son saw something in his daddy that in his lowest moment, that all of a sudden he said, you know what, my dad's not gonna reject me. I might not be worthy or I might not feel worthy, but my dad's not gonna reject me. He's not gonna condemn me. He's not gonna throw me out with the dogs. No, because I seen 10 years ago that my dad had grace and mercy upon me. So all of a sudden the perspective of his dad changed which caused him to run back to his daddy. See, the world's view, if you take your world's view, and your indicator of what God is like from the world, you'll think he wants to beat you up. 
You think he wants to tear you down. You think he wants to condemn you. You think he wants to judge you. That's not what the Bible says. For God so loved the world. Come on, somebody. God didn't condemn the world. God didn't punish the world. God gave his son because he loved the world. And for God so loved the world that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, it's love that motivates him, not condemnation. So when you see your father that way, you can run back into his arms in a place of brokenness. You can humbly repent. See, God, I believe this son understood this. God does what man can't do, and that's forgiveness of sin. This kid had sinned, and he, he had missed the mark, and he had messed up, but he'd seen a perspective of his father that Jesus is trying to communicate about the heart of this father. And some people read this passage like, well, the father should have ran after him. No, he shouldn't have. Well, the father should have ran after him and snatched his little tail up and said, boy, this is how you're going to do it. No, no. There's a perspective here you have to understand. We all have a choice involved in how we're going to act. His father wasn't going to try to force his choice. His father was going to allow him to experience some things. But at the same moment, the Bible says that the father sat on the porch in the chair waiting every day. He'd look out on the horizon to see if his boy was coming back. Why? Because he knew what his boy was involved in. But he didn't look at it with the eyes of condemnation. No, he looked at it with an eye of love. And he sat on the porch as a daddy watching for his boy to come home. And he knew there was something in this father and the motivation of this father that says it doesn't matter what my son has done, that when my son comes home, I'm going to embrace him. The Bible even declared that he didn't even sit on the chair. The Bible says when, they, when he looked off into the field and all of a sudden saw his crazy looking son that had been sleeping with pigs and hanging out with prostitutes, all of a sudden he saw his boy again. And the Bible says the father didn't sit there and go, well, I wish he'd hurry up and get here up on the porch so I can give him a lesson. No, the Bible says the, the father, this is the only time you see God run, is he jumped off the porch, and it says in love and compassion, ran towards his son. So when we repent, God's not running from you, God's running to you. God's coming after you. See, he realized, though, listen, he realized he couldn't be free just working it out between him and God, and this is what we do. Well, I'll just work this out between me and Jesus. We'll just, you know, we're just going to handle this on our own, and we're going to be over here, and we're going to work it out between me and Jesus. No, that, no, no. He understood he couldn't work it out. He understood in his mess he couldn't work it out, that he needed to come home, that he needed to go to his father, that he needed somebody else greater than him that had the power to set him free. He realized that he couldn't be free just working it out. Bible says in James 5, 16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say confess your sin to God. It says confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. In other words, God's job is forgiveness. You go to God for forgiveness. You go to people for healing. When you get this cycle operating in your life, when you lay down the pride and the shame and you humbly repent before God and others, all of a sudden now there's a new cycle of synergy of freedom that begins to take place when you say, yes, I need God to forgive me of my sin, but I need people to be healed. And so I, I confess my sin before God because 1 John 1, 9 says that he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin. But then over here, I need somebody that I confess the sin to, that all of a sudden now he says, this is where healing happens. All of a sudden, when I lay vulnerable before somebody and I disclose the things in my life that have been a struggle, all of a sudden now, there's a synergy of God, of forgiveness and healing that takes place, that brings healing 
and freedom into our life. Number three, if we're going to stay free, daily choose to reject Satan's lies. Daily choose to reject Satan's lies. In other words, Luke 15 says this, and I'll be closing here in just one second. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Now, here we go. So he's about to bring into the second son, okay? When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, hey, what's going on? He said, your brother's come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. So his brother gets ticked. This dude's free. He comes home, and he's like, hey, man, I didn't go out here and do this craziness like he did. Why in the world is he killing a fatted calf? Like, come on, that's like having a barbecue. You know, you invite everybody over, you know, and this is what it was like. It was like the boy came home, and there was a freedom that happened in this boy's life. And so his dad, instead of condemning him through a party, it says he killed the fatted calf. You know what that means? He took one of his most costly prizes of an animal that cost him the most, killed it because his son had come home. Why Jesus? He's the most costly, valuable thing that the heavenly father had to give. And he gave him for us that we could be free. You know, the Bible also continues to say in verse 27 or verse 29, it says, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, which is a lie. Come on, somebody. You got kids. They always, I've never done anything wrong disobeying your orders. You lie, you fry. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. In other words, you never ordered pizza for me because I've been so good. So I could have a party with my friends. But then he says this, but when his, when this son of yours, like that's his brother, when this son of yours comes home, who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. In other words, the enemy's always going to lie about your freedom. Oh, you're not really free. No, God didn't really say that. No, you're gonna go right back to where you were. No, that's not what he said. See, you have to reverse the lie with the truth. It's the truth you know, the truth that God puts in your heart, that you reverse the lie with the truth, the truth you learn in John chapter 8 that we started with, when applied, will keep you free. Free indeed, guys. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's no other way. I'm sorry, you can't fill your mind with stuff and expect to stay free. It's not a moment God's calling to you to. He's calling you to a journey of freedom. Number four, in closing. Daily choose to receive God's truth. Luke 15, 22 says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine that was dead and is alive, he was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Daily choose to receive God's truth. These three things, robe, ring, and sandals all mean something. The Bible says that you're the righteousness of God in Christ and he has given you a robe of righteousness. Righteousness is a church word, a $10 word for, for some of you that may not even know what the word righteousness means. It means this, it means to be in right standing with God. Literally, it's how you see yourself in God. Righteousness is how you see yourself in God. It's your position in God. See, you were once an alien, now you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You once an outsider, now you're an insider. Now you can see through God's eyes. And he says this, he said, put a robe on him. 
because his perspective has now changed. Now he said, yes, he came back home, he gave his life to me, so now he's in right standing with me, therefore he has access to everything that I own again. Number two, he says, put a ring of authority on it. Every family had a signet ring. It was a signet ring, and what they would do is they would seal documents with it. They would dip it in hot wax, and they would seal envelopes. They would seal documents, and when that document was sealed, you couldn't reverse it. So he would seal it, and he said this, put a ring of authority. In other words, he has access to everything that I own. And in, 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 in our relationship with God, we have access to the name of Jesus, that I can go to God. I don't have to go to a priest. I don't have to go to somebody. I can go to God. I can go to God myself. Why? Because when I said yes to Christ, he put the ring of authority on my finger that no one has to go for me. And I don't have to go all messed up and fearful of God. No, I can go to God for myself and I can stand before God and I can say, God, this, 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 and this, and, and this God, and this God. And, and all of a sudden now I can have this relationship with him. Why? Because I have authority and that ring represents Jesus, that Jesus gave you authority in Mark chapter 16 and Luke chapter 11. He said, you'll tread on serpents and scorpions and nothing by any means will hurt you of the enemy. He said, I put a ring on it. And then finally, this is my favorite part of this passage. This young man had been in the pig pen. He had been living for years with no shoes on. See, because what happened in those days is if you were a slave, you didn't have sandals. And what happened in this moment was it says that he put sandals on his feet. You think, well, that's just because, no. No, you have to realize that his feet were probably bloody. He, they were bare, they probably had pig feces in it. He, that, that they were filthy, that they were dirty. And what would happen is when the son would return home, that the father would wash the feet of the son and he would put shoes on it, representing this. You're no longer a slave, boy. So he, the father would get down and he would serve his son and he would wash the, the, the pig feet out of or the pig feces and the, and the dirt and the blood out of his feet and he would, he would kneel down and he would wash his boy's feet and then he would take and he would tell one of his servants, go in there and give me some of them leather sandals, those ones with the, with the gold straps, baby. Bring them in here. He'd bring them in and he'd put these sandals on his feet. And when those sandals hit this boy's feet, all of a sudden this represents the shoes of peace. All his turmoil, everything that he had been through, all of a sudden this peace hits this young man's life and he knows. I'm no longer a slave, but I'm a son. In other words, as Paul said, we don't have to be slaves to sin. We can be slaves to righteousness. That we can live, breathe, and walk in our freedom every single day. My encouragement to you, church, for those of you that are our guests, those of you that are regulars, listen, don't make freedom a moment. Make it a journey that every single day you fight for it and you stand firm in Jesus and watch him change your life. Amen, everybody. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap. <laughs> bow your heads with me for a moment. I want to pray for each and every one of you today. If you're in this place, just bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. If you're in this place, you say, Jason, I felt like a dirty slave for a long time. I felt like dirty, like, like I'm separated from God and I don't have a relationship with God and I want to come home today.
Listen to me, you that are getting ready to make this decision, hear me today, this is a serious decision. I want you to know you're not alone in your decision, that over the last eight weeks, somebody during one of these services on Sunday has said, has said yes to Christ. Today, Jesus will do something brand new in your heart, that he'll put that, he'll put that ring of authority on you. He'll put, he'll put that robe of righteousness on you. He'll give you shoes so you can walk in peace and not in turmoil all the time. So today you say, man, I wanna make a decision to come back to God, or I wanna make a decision to say yes to Jesus today. As you search your heart, as you think about your life for a moment, you say, that's me, man, I need, to, I need to come home. I need Jesus in my heart today. If that's you, will you raise up your hand? I wanna pray for you, I'm not gonna call you for it. I just wanna pray for you this morning. Anybody at all, say yes, that's me. I need prayer, anybody at all. Let's all pray together in this moment. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for what you're doing in this room. I pray today, God, in this moment, that God, you'll touch a heart, you'll touch a life today, that we can walk this journey of freedom out. Thank you today for the dads, Lord. I pray for a new revelation of freedom for them, that they can walk in their calling as a dad, that God, you'll do something brand new and different in their life today. Will you all repeat after me this prayer today? There'll be those in this room today that, that will make a decision to say yes to Christ, to come home or or say yes for the first time. Will you all join with me and pray this prayer with me? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And today, I ask him to come into my heart. I ask him to make me a new creature, new person. Today, I invite the power of the Holy Spirit to help me in this journey called freedom. And so today, out with the old and in with the new. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at livereallife.com. 